Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday. So getting around time, uh, so let me do the parsha, which I delayed till today, which is being sponsored by my good friend the Leventhal's in honor of uh, Ed's, uh, this is the uh, Leventhal's of the farm near Gettysburg. <laughs> uh, you haven't seen anything if you haven't been there. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but this is a uh, very easy and and, and Mass Leventhal are sponsoring uh, for the memory of David Leventhal's brother. David Law, David Mendel ben Herschel Levy, and all the brother in law, Sheldon Skuro, Simcha ben Moshe, from <coughs> Neshamas, Shaman Ali. We hope this will be Ali's Neshama. <coughs> so thank you very much. Now, um, this week, of course, is by Midbar, which happens to come out as it is the calendar just before she was, not always like that. And uh, <coughs> it's very interesting the relationship between <coughs> by Midbar on the one hand and she was on the other in terms of chronology cause and effect, and many other things. I'll tell you what occurred to me, especially since I did Chavakuk yesterday, in the Torah, and that reminds you of the Messianic era. And basically, to cut to the chase, there are, just as we say in modern Judaism, <clears throat> that there, there are alternative possible models for the Messianic uh, process, it could go this way, it could go that way, a lot of different ways. It's not clear. If you think about it, that lies, excuse me, at the very heart of the Machlokas, you know, of the of the Rav Cook types, you know, the religious Zionists who say this is Aschalta de Gula versus others who say not. <clears throat> Nobody knows, you know. But this whole idea that there are, you know, different models that people either have traditions about or come up with on their own is very much based, it seems to me, parallels what you find <clears throat> in the biblical times. Uh, but Midbar, of course, has a specific time and place to Hainu. So in the first day of Er, one year after they left Egypt. So obviously, it's a packed year. As I always say, they leave Egypt on Pesach, and then they have all their adventures until they get to Shavuos, and then comes 40, 40, and 40, till you get the second Luchos, on Yom Kippur, <clears throat> and then comes the building of the Mishkan, which by tradition is supposed to last until Hanukkah. There's a certain gap. What happens between Hanukkah and Rosh Chodesh um, Nisan? It, it was just like a lacuna. It's interesting because we all know, again, going by our tradition, that the Mishkan was actually erected on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, <clears throat> although it was shovel-ready uh, by Hanukkah time. And the story takes you from that moment on, the book of Ikra. So uh, <clears throat> the construction of the Mishkan and then the ceremonies that are going to the Mishkan, that is the book of Ikra, basically, uh, for the most part. Uh, Tuma and Tyra, Carbonus and so forth. Kachim and Tyra, as they call it. And that means that it wasn't quite, uh, I mean, let, let's put it this way. <clears throat> About a year after they left Egypt, that's when it seems to be they got all these instructions, these many-fold instructions that constitute the book of uh, Vayikra. 
uh, as somebody pointed out to me the other day, Bukhukose doesn't 100% fit into that because it doesn't say Vadabra Shama Mushle more or Baal Mori or anything like that. It just says in Bukhukose Telechot. But leave that alone for a moment. So, all the Book of Ikra is taking place in a rather static context that it's, there was a Mishkan already set up. So, it's after Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Uh, but it's. Uh, so, it, in other words, it would be in, in, in the month of Nisan primarily. And uh, it's prior to the Book of Mebibur. Because <clears throat> everything that's going to happen right now picks up where Baker left off. So, maybe I'm missing something over here. But it's kind of interesting that there's a lot of packed material chronologically over that month of Nisan. Uh, in which case, you know, you're. T- because that's when and all that happens. Okay? Even Achrim Moses <clears throat> took place in the eighth day of Nisan, you know, by the Miluim. So, uh, it's quite a month. Now, then starts the question of where do you go from here? And that's the book of Midbar, because it actually picks up uh, the narrative. So it's a year and two weeks, approximately, since Pesach. Right? A year and two weeks. And what happened? You're told, as you know, to uh, go count everybody. <clears throat> now, why are you counting everybody? Well, Rashi gives a nicey, nice shot, a very famous one, which is Mitilki Bosan Manoso, because he loved him. I always call that the tourist shot. If you've ever been in Israel, overseas, if you're a tourist, you're constantly feeling if your if your passport has not been stolen. Then if you brought cash, which is less and less the case, but long ago you used to take cash, or traveler's checks, you're always feeling up, oh, do, do I, is it in is it my wallet where it should be, or wherever I put it in the money bag, you know, however they used to do it. That's a very basic idea. That you always want to feel tacti, you know, tactically, uh, what's the one I'm saying? Tactilely, you know, what you have. And that would be a sign of Chiba. However, the other shot, the more logical shot, less mystical shot, is <clears throat> the following, and listen closely. Let's say they didn't screw up with the Miraglim, which you and I know is coming. Say, as soon as you get the Shlach, <clears throat> boom, it's the Miraglim. So then what? So they went to Harsinai, they got the Ten Commandments, they had the problem of the 40-40-40 and the Mishkan and so forth, and now, get ready to march from Sinai to Israel, conquer the country, <coughs> and settle the whole business. No 40 years of wandering in the desert. It would be a grand total of a year. Um, a little more. And Gamarnu. But that means you got to get an army. So... What is it that Hashem tells Moshe b'mid barasini b'ol moed and so on and so forth? Se'u is Rosh called Asmane Yisrael and Mishpah Gosom, right? Mibenes b'mishan o'vamalo, kol yotzei tzavah b'Yisrael. Tifkudu o'sam l'tzivosam. You know, take a census for the army. <coughs> okay? Take a census for the army. And ve'ela shmos anoshim or yam l'chem, and you get the tribal leaders with you. Right? And it says... That Moshe carried it out. It's called Yidah Hikilu Be'echad Lachodesh Hasheni, right? So, in other words, 
Hashem spoke to him and Moshe was his reason type of guy. And what's all about? Organize yourselves into a military force. Each tribe will have its own brigades and divisions. In order to conduct military campaigns, you have to know how many soldiers you got. And so forth and so on. Now, you and I know, then Kingdom Raglam, uh, <clears throat> a few parshas later. But it's very interesting, because it means that the plan was <clears throat> not to go in and miraculously, the Canaanites would flee, but rather you go in and conduct a military campaign, which in the long run is what happened at the time of Joshua. Now, that's very interesting, because then, of course, they mess up with the Miraglam, and they all perish, you know, in one, more or less at one spot in the desert, where the Kodesh Barnei, wherever it was that they were for all these years, Nahalzeret and so forth, and then they, Moshe had to die, and only afterwards they crossed the Jordan, as we all know. So that means <clears throat> that were three messianic scenarios possible, if you think about it. I say messianic because Moshe is a Mashiach. I mean, Mashiach means anointed, so Moshe not anointed, but you know, national leader under God's leadership. So there are three ways the Jews could have done the conquest of Israel. <clears throat> I'm going by what the Chazal and the others say. A, B, and C. Let's say A. <clears throat> Let's say he would have left Egypt in a from state on a high level, which they did not. But let's say they had. Let's say <clears> that as a result of the plagues, or who knows what, they had a tremendous disorderous, and everybody get rid of their idols, and all that business, which did not happen. The book Yechazkel is very explicit. Lohishlichu. You know, they didn't get rid of the idols. Meaning they left Egypt still, you know, uh, half and half. Poseos, they see them. So, <clears throat> let's say it hadn't been that way. Let's say after the ten plagues, the people said, Hashem Elohim, and we follow you blindly, and so forth. Then they wouldn't went three days into Israel. The only reason is Pen Mir or something. How's it go? Uh, you know, and, and God took him around the way. The reason that God took him on a circuitous route, <coughs> instead of right across the top of the Sinai Peninsula that we're all familiar with, and they wouldn't have gotten there in a couple of days, is because of their spiritual state. Right? That's how it goes. And that means that Hashem surveyed where they were holding, and they still were slaves, <clears throat> and they still were shaku in the in the Vodazur to some degree. Not as much as been before the plagues, not as much before the Yitzhi granted, <clears throat> but we're still there. And consequently, <clears throat> he couldn't take them straight. If they had gone straight in three days, then it would have been like a pure Amuna type vart. And the Canaanites would have fled or crushed or something like that. Notice, they would have conquered the land miraculously. <clears throat> like like not having to fight. Uh, it's happened in history once in a while. <clears throat> the people get so scared they run away. We are told 
in our tradition that that happened to the Girgashi. Okay? Because sometimes you see Kanani Chimapriza Girgashi, and sometimes they're left out of list. It's just Chani, Kanani, Chiti, Amori, went and so forth, and leave out <coughs> the Girgashi. That leads the commentators to say that they hit the road. And there was no problem with that. The, the, the idea was not to exterminate the Canaanites, it's just to get them the heck out of Israel. You see? Just, you know, hit the road, Jack, and don't come back. That's all. Don't, don't slam the door behind you. But go. And if they went there, then, they'd be, you know, then we wouldn't have anything against them. So that seems to would have happened. And that would be in a pure Amuna type situation. This is sort of like a very Satmer type vort. You understand? It would be a nace, and, you know, all be through Amuna. <clears throat> and indeed, a lot of the rhetoric you find in Dvarim sounds like something like, oh, you're going to a land, Batim Tova Masha'avalo Banisa, Kromim Bezeis Masha'avalo Natata, Bechalda Bezabata, there'll be a paradise. <clears throat> Which connotes, it doesn't say explicitly, connotes, there'll be no price for it. You won't even have to have a war. Right? It'll happen. <clears throat> because I promised Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov, and Lo Shalem Avon Ho Hena, the Canaanim ran out their bill, and uh, they, their sins reached a certain number, and once they hit that magic number, their time was up, and the Jews would have gone three days into, <clears throat> you know, Israel, and they would not have been in a state where they would see the dead bodies from the Plishtim and freak out. They would have been in such an Amun state, they would have said like this, Nebuch, the other Jews left early, they didn't have <clears throat> the proper Amunah. It's like the Torah Kartavar, right? They didn't have the proper Amunah, but we, True Blue, who waited for the divine signal, <clears throat> this won't happen to us, and the sight of all these dead bodies will not freak us out. But that's not where they were holding. So instead, you had to go to Plan B. <clears throat> what is Plan B? Take them to Mount Sinai, give them the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> and then hit the road and march off to Israel. So let's say that they've taken <clears throat> the Ten Commandments after Moshe came down 40 days and 40 nights. And let's say they did not make a golden calf. Right? They did not make a golden calf. So then, <clears throat> what would happen? They would get the Ten Commandments, and they would hit the road. <clears throat> Maybe there wouldn't be a Mishkan altogether. Let me put it this way. It makes no sense to have a Mishkan, because in a week or two or three, you'll be in Israel. And, you, you know... Uh, and you would have done it right, not the way it happened in the time of Joshua, where he did 50-50. <clears throat> they would have come in and conquered the whole country under the leadership of Moses. And <clears throat> they would have had Yerushalayim from, more or less from day one. And that's where you build your Mishnah. You call the base of English. <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying? If they had not made a golden calf, there wouldn't be a Mishkan because, <clears throat> at least it seems, because that would not be the form that the, that the, the Malcolm Kaddish would take. Since logistically, they would have been, you know, a week or two or three or four, whatever later, in Eretz Israel proper, <clears throat> and they would have gone with an army. As you see now, you know, get yourself an army together. And <clears throat> um, I'm not 100% sure if what I'm saying is right. I'll tell you why in a second. And that's where they would capture Jerusalem and build a base of English on the side of the Akkad, etc., etc. <clears throat> The reason I'm not 100% sure because of the following. I just laid out the scenario what, what it would have been if they had not made a golden calf. <clears throat> Perhaps even then, there are many uh, chazals and stuff that say 
they still would have been zochah to the magic thing, that he would have gone into Israel and conquered it almost without a fight. <clears throat> be led by Moshe Rabbeinu, and uh, it would have been done right, not the way it was done later by Yeshua. And <clears throat> if they said Nasim and Ishma, and they're holding that Cheres, Cheres Aluchus, Cheres from the Malchamavas, Cheres from this, Cheres from that, it strongly connotes <clears throat> that they would have gotten Israel handed to him on a silver platter. Right? That's what it seems like. It, do, it doesn't <clears throat> even mean maybe they wouldn't even had to have an army. Maybe they would have just <clears throat> marched under this divine inspiration straight to Israel and the guy would have run away. In other words, after Maimon Harsinai, <clears throat> they would have been on the Madrega that they should have been on at the time they left Egypt. You know, that they thoroughly uh, purged themselves of the Egyptian idol ideas and things like that. But as you and I know, that did not happen. And the, in fact, the Egyptian ide- idol ideas were with them, even Harsinai. And afterwards, they made a golden calf. <clears throat> and that delayed the whole business by at least a year. Because, the, well, not a year, but much of a year. Because the golden calf is is, is um, Shabazzar Thomas. And Bamidbar is the beginning of ER, so, you know, it's uh, 10 months. It delayed the whole business by 10 months. <clears throat> you get it? Uh, so Because when Moshe came down, they made a golden calf. He broke the luchos, and it took him until Yom Kippur to get the second luchos, etc., etc., etc. It's interesting, by the way, <clears throat> that after breaking the second luchos, I mean, excuse me, after getting the second luchos, you needed a Mishkan. That's not so clear because, to me, because you're about to march to Israel. Remember, forget the Meraglim. Let's say there was no Meraglim. They would have marched right away to Israel. What do you need a Mishkan for? It's a, it's it's very suggestive. It's like Hashem sees what's coming down the road. I'm not 100% sure. You heard of it. You hear what I'm saying. Uh, but what happened, of course, was that now they made the golden calf and had to go through all that business. So here we are, beating up a Midrash. Hashem says, okay, we're going to march to Israel, but now you're going to have to do this in a military war. Therefore, I need a census. And we have to organize an army, which clearly implies that it's going to be more complicated. It's not the enemy's going to break and run. You're going to have to fight. Although you'll be led by Moses, who, may I say, aside from being the Shli Hashem, was an experienced general, according to our traditions. Uh, you know, going back to Josephus and beyond, that Moshe <coughs> had been an Egyptian general and all that stuff. And so a guy like Moshe was not exactly inexperienced when it comes to wars. And as a matter of fact, you would say, in retrospect, wow, look how the divine providence works that Moshe was given a military training so that decades later, when he led the Kla Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael, he was able to efficiently conduct military operations and break the enemy in a, in a, in a fairly rapid uh, way when, it, when he was there. You know? But once again, the divine plan is, is upset because human beings are human beings. And so, where our process holding is you didn't get it right when you left Egypt. <clears throat> you didn't get it right when Moshe came down with the first Luchos. Now we're 
holding by the second Luchos. <coughs> so it seems like you do need a Mishkan. It almost implies they need the Mishkan for short-term purposes. That, you know, just to keep the Jews from and not making another golden calf, you need a Mishkan for the next couple of weeks. Because think about what I'm saying. <coughs> Let's say they hadn't been Raglan. <coughs> After we went through all the trouble of building up the Mishkan and all the Parshas in the Torah to deal with it in, in detail. And let's say, <clears throat> after taking the census in today's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu would have led the Jews, what was it, 11 days journey, whatever it says, into Eretz Yisrael, and Moshe Rabbeinu would lead the Jews in the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. And by the way, he would do it right. But I'll tell you what I mean by that. Including the Gaza Strip, <clears throat> including Lebanon, because if you look at the biblical boundaries, they include <clears throat> the Gaza Strip and they include Lebanon, plus more. It does not include necessarily the Yarden, but it does include that. You know, in Syria, parts of it. So the point is, Moshe would have done it right. And then they would have taken Yerushalayim, as I said before, very early on. And then under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, one would imagine that they would build a base of Mikdash. And so the Mishkan really would have been there <clears throat> for a very short time. And it's, that leads with the Mashmos. It implies... That the Michigan was there, you know, as I said before, as a as a temporary, momentary kind of thing, to keep the Jews from slipping back into Eglazovism in the relatively short time that they're there. That's what it seems. And that leads us with today's Pasha. And now they're getting ready, and they will take a census, as you know. They'll eventually even take a census of the Levies for the basic English purposes and so forth. I mean Michigan purposes. But Digger Zach over here is for the army. Uh, that's the Rashbam and the Benezra and, and many Mephoshim understand. I mean, that's the Pashup shot. Rashi shot, which we all know from school, is a nice shot. We talk about some one or something, but it's not a Pashup shop shot. And then you would add a word. So uh, that's just interesting. Now, even that didn't work. They screwed up the third time. Not only by not leaving Egypt and getting rid of all the idolatry, and not only by making a golden calf, but the third time is the Miraglim that's coming up. <clears throat> when that happened, that sort of like broke the straw, broke you know the straw that broke the back. That uh, Hashem said, "Okay, you're all going to die here," meaning nothing works. I tried the Egypt thing, followed by Harsin, I think, followed by Lucas Rishonus, followed by Lucas Rishnios. Nothing works. So therefore. This whole generation by Midbar That's the 40-year business. So they never did get to use that census. I hope you realize that. Whatever census they took for the army, Yisrael, turned out to be useless. This is ironic. Whoever they counted this week's parasha perished during the 40 years, correct? You know, if you're 20 and older. We all know the story. So it represents what might have been rather than what actually happened. Okay? Now, uh, this is quite remarkable because uh, the story of Chumash is, like I say, of three big tries. The first time, the second time, the third time. After they leave Egypt, after they get the first Lucas, after they get the second Lucas. That's what we're holding now. And, uh, you know, the Jews don't get it right. Okay? 
and 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 the truth is, they still had all the Egyptian junk in them because they said, "Vanhi beinenu kachagavim, v'chein hayinu bein, you know, beinihem." Famous story in Raglan. So they couldn't bring themselves to believe to the point of taking it, you know, uh, to that to the level of uh, scared or not scared. The Rambam says somewhere in the morning book when he talks about the Masai, uh I forget exactly where that. The desert experience was necessary to toughen them up. <coughs> That's part of it. Part of the reason. Uh, and when you march around the desert back and forth, it's like one gigantic boot camp. And by the time it's over, whoever survives, survives, and it's tough. And then you're tough enough to go and march into Israel. So clearly, when you look at Nirama, of course, going from a very rationalistic, um, non-miraculous kind of aspect, and he's talking about, you know, conquering the land in military terms. You have to have a tough soldiers. Can't have a bunch of wimps. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting this way that that implies <clears throat> that it would be necessary for decades to go by living in the desert to be one big boot camp. On the other hand, it is possible to see that maybe the Maimon Arsina, which was the Shavuos, possibly could have done the trick but I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm getting too uh, homiletical or too uh, frumsy-dumsy. Because there is a very famous message in this week's Parsha. There are many. Where it says, <clears throat> In the first part of Medish Rabbah, it says, Why does it say, Why does it have to tell you that Hashem spoke to Moshe on Bimbarsina get ready for the army? And he sees that the Medrash, Rabbah, which is a Chazal, has some kind of reference connecting it with, with Maimon Harsina, with Shulas. Because Mikan Shonu Chachamim, B'Shloshah Dvarim Nit in the Torah. <clears throat> that since Hashem spoke to Moshe Midbar Sinai, that seems like an essential component of this. Meaning, as I understand it, that uh, the, the Torah could only be given in a desert. Uh, the three necessary components, Bishlosha Dvarim, Torah, one is Esh, one is Maim, and one is um, Midbar. <clears throat> and he goes on to say the Esh was at Harsinai, and the Maim was, uh, I don't know, Gam, Gam Shamayim, Natu, Gam Ab, Natu, Maim, that's uh, from Sisera. And Midbar saying, Vlama Nitna Bishlosha Dvarim Elo, Ma Elo Bechinam, Lechol Bayom. <clears throat> so the plain meaning of that, the two, there's a double record. Hold on for a second. The plain meaning is a very famous one teaching in the Mechilta. <clears throat> that the Torah was given in uh, Bamid Barsina in the desert so that nobody, so that the Jewish people can become racist and say nobody can join our religion because you're not a member of the tribe. But rather we have the concept of Gerim, especially Ger Tzedek. And then no matter where you're from, if you're sincere about it, you can join. Because the Torah wasn't given in Jerusalem. Otherwise, God would have arranged it that the Jews should march into Israel, kick the guy out. This would be a good movie. Assemble the whole nation at Har Maria, build a base of Megashir, and then get the Torah. That'd be the right way. And then you say it's a very national kind of thing. It's Jew-specific, meaning biologically, racially. <clears throat> if you're not physically descended from Abraham and so forth, you can't uh, be shy. There are religions around the world, <clears throat> some, that do not accept converts as a matter of religious principle. 
So the Jews could have been dead, but we're not, because we say it didn't turn out that way, did it? Instead, Hashem said, I'm not going to take him to Israel and give him the Torah then. Rather, I'm going to take him to the desert and give him the Torah in the desert, which is, in those days, the desert didn't belong to anybody. And the Mechilta uh, uses the language, Dimas Parhesio. It was open to everybody. So that's one vort, that, you know, the Torah is 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 open to anybody. It says, Hoy kol samayil Anybody who's thirsty can drink. Dabar Acher, the other one is, by Dabar Shammoshel Mitzinai, kol mishen osa atzim kamid bar hefker, any yachaliknes is a Torah, Torah. You can't have learning, successful learning, it's a, it's a vart for a shibuz. I'm a little going over time, but I'll go a little bit over time. Uh, this is like this is connecting our parsha with Shavuos, uh, which means you can't have to be kona hachachma v'hatorah. I'll say it again: Kol mishenu osa atzmo kamidbar hefker enu yachol liknos as a torah hachachma. How do you translate that? I mean, I know you know the words. <clears throat> How do you translate that? If you uh, are into consumerism. You won't be able to be kind of the Torah. You can't have the materialism and the Torah together. Um, it, it, there's like a parallel version where it says, "Ain't on him, nasa alzori al gufa l'abono l'basic Torah v'zeh ain't l'zocher divrei Torah." If you're not willing to self-sacrifice and drop a lot of your fun things and devote many hours to the be successful in learning, it means imamelim b'Torah chukah se tolecho. If you're not willing to take that very seriously and drop everything else, it won't work. You won't be kone it, right? You can learn, but you won't be kone it. You won't control it, meaning you won't you won't you won't understand it and be able to you know uh, know it in the sense that you own it, right? This is very interesting. You have to treat yourself like a midbar, and a midbar to the chazal means the absence of material stuff. A city was the place of luxury and materialism, and consumerism. The desert is the absence of that. <clears throat> person traveling in the desert, by definition, makes do with the least possible. When you go in the desert, on a trip, or live there, you have water as rations, you understand? Uh, you have food in, 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 in short supply. And, uh, you know, you, you, you have what you need to survive. But not extra. When you're in a when you're in a farm or in the or, or in the city, there's a good and plenty sometimes. There's an abundance. This is very interesting nowadays, because the we don't really have. I gotta think how to say this. We don't really have so many intellectual challenges today. Not the way that from sociology has worked out. Uh, most people ignore shall I call it the atheistical stuff. Let me use it that way. Uh, this, that, and the other. Most people ain't, ain't Dovid Sree Hoffman's, <laughs> right? Uh, not okay to them. But but everybody's affected by our current God, which is consumerism. The God in Western culture, American culture, and it's into Israel too, is the consumerism because the consumerism is, is rocking. We have the internet, we have the computer, you can order anything at touch of a button. It's instant gratification in a thousand ways. How do you say no? And I always say, the modern society is very interesting, the modern cultural challenges, 
Because nobody makes anybody do anything. You don't have to watch this show or movie. You don't have to eat this food. You have to go to this hotel. You don't have to do this, that, and the other. But you do have to say no, no, no all day long. And we've become part of this just by, by being creatures of the internet. Because, you know, with all their logarithms, they throw stuff at you all the time, don't they? How many times are you uh, deleting? Yom you You're deleting all kind of offers, but, but you don't delete them all. <laughs> right? There are a lot of them that you say you're not interested in. But sooner or later they get you and they hook you. And if it's the young people especially, they hook you on the on the substances and who knows what. So the modern addiction things of that nature are nothing but the manifestation of the extraordinary power of the consumerism in the modern culture. Which is penetrating into the from life. So it's just very interesting as we go into Shavuos, right? That we say now, I'll tell you the funny part of it. And then I'll close this down. Because I'm going a little long. Shavuos night, everybody's going to stay up. I mean, you know, those who do. The theory behind staying up is you're supposed to make yourself a shtickle hefker. You'll do without sleep. Th- theoretically, in the old days, you started... Let's say learning, I mean, I'm making this up. Let's start learning at 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Let's see what a Harusa. And that's it. You just went until 5 o'clock. You know, see, until 6 o'clock, whatever it is in your area. And that's what you do. And by being a male in the middle of the night, you're like, you're, you're, that's the Hefker part. Right? But what has happened? Certainly in America, I imagine in Israel too, I don't know. More and more I see every year that the shoals do like this. Oh, we'll have a barbecue in the middle of the night. We'll have a special coffee and a cheesecake in the middle of the night. In other words, there is learning, no question about it. You know, I'm talking about the good people. I'm not the people just hang around the shoal and just shoot the bull in the corner and, you know, mainly fresh. We won't go into that. I'm talking about the regular guys. I'm talking at least in Baltimore. I'm sure where you live also. <clears throat> you have some places where, in the militia, it's not you've got some serious food situations on your hand. I mean, some serious stuff. Uh, I hope it's not booze because that how you stay up. <clears throat> you get it, but I don't know. So in other words, the consumerism is even penetrated to Shavuos night, which is supposed to be the the custom, the minig. It's supposed to be an example of an antithesis to consumerism. It's supposed to be like I said before. Uh, so, but 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 we all know that uh, consumerism, HR in general, is like water. It'll it'll water will penetrate wherever it can, wherever it's a crack. And it's just interesting to me <coughs> that you know a guy <coughs> goes to a shul, especially a fancy shul, and you know they have a shear for an hour, and then they have a break, and then you know, like I said before, it could be flashes. And uh, I'll tell you, in Baltimore, they like a barbecue middle of the night. <laughs> okay? So basically, you're at a pace hotel with a little bit of learning on the side. I don't know. It's kind of strange in the context where it says, in this week's Parsha, get everybody ready for the Army because we're about to do military service. So these are just a few thoughts that hit me as I looked at Bamidbar. When Bamidbar is, is Arab Shavuos. Bamidbar is Arab Shavuos, Arab Matan Torah. Uh, I've gone long enough, but let me, uh, once again, thank the Leventhal's. We're sponsoring another one next week. And it's in, once again, it's in memory of 
his brother David and Sheldon, the uh, brother-in-law. And uh, I hope out in Pennsylvania, they will have a good yontif that all of us will. And with that, I wish you all a good week and a good yontif. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.